All right. Enjoy that. Uh, anybody um, remember anything from your past? Hopefully not. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Good morning. So good to see everyone this morning. <clears throat> if you are new this morning, if this is your first time, I am not Pastor Jake. Uh, my name is Mark Harpam. I'm part of the team here, and I get to sub in for him. So uh, pray for Pastor Jake and Bethany. They are down at Joy La Paz this morning um, and this week, and they are ministering, they're teaching, they're training. Um, they are imparting to that church, our sister church in La Paz. So um, Pastor Jake will be back here next Sunday, so never fear. All right, well... Um, First, before we move any further, the Ducks did a good job, right? They took care of those unruly, rebellious children uh, the, under the devil's command, right? They took care of them. Good job, Ducks. All right. We love our Ducks here at Joy Church. I hope you do, too. Okay. Um, one quick announcement. Um, December 10th is our Legacy Offering. Um, we do this every year, and it's a couple of things. Number one, it's saying, Jesus, we love you, and we want to give you a Christmas present. But, but beyond that, what we're saying is that we want to invest in the next generation. We want to in invest in uh, kingdom work locally and globally. And so if you would just pray and say, Lord, what would you put in my heart to give on that date? Um, interestingly, five years ago, right now, uh, Pastor Jake, God gave him a vision of a building with an indoor playground five years ago. December, um, we gave our, our legacy offering. And in January, Pastor Jake and Bethany were driving by this street. And they saw this vacant, decrepit building with the for sale sign on it. And here we are, and last week we opened the indoor playground. Isn't that awesome? So we want to keep doing that. We believe that God wants to use us more than just for us, but for those that God wants to reach. So just pray. Say, Lord, what would you put in my heart to give on December 10th? Okay. Um, let me see where we are. So you enjoyed the video. No Regrets. Okay, we misspelled that, and on purpose, just in case you were wondering. And that is the point of the beginning here of, of this message. Um, actually, it's a series. I get to do the first one, and Pastor Jake's going to take it on up. It's going to keep going up and up and up every week, okay? But how many of you want to live a life with no regrets, right? I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't see any women in that video. <laughs> So any guys, you know, kind of something you saw just kind of brought some memory back. Anybody? Come on, guys. Be honest. Okay, I see those hands. Yes. Well, the year was 1979, and uh, I was in college, and I don't know if you, any of you know of the Sandy River. <clears throat> the Sandy River is very similar to the McKenzie River, but it flows from Mount Hood. It's on the east side of Portland. And us guys were having a great time uh, occasionally uh, floating the river, doing stuff there on the Sandy River. Well, I had met this beautiful young lady. 
And I got this brilliant idea. And uh, by the way, guys, um, if you meet a young lady and you get any brilliant ideas, words of the wise, talk to an older man and just kind of run it by them and just see if they see any holes in your plan. Well, I failed to do this. So I had this brilliant idea that I was going to take this beautiful young lady on a river cruise on my homemade little raft on the Sandy River. And I wanted to actually build a two-seat bench on little little love seat on this raft. And so I got my inner tubes and my plywood and my two-by-fours, and I proceeded to build this glorious little uh, raft. And I just, I was so excited. This I could just picture it, this river cruise, romantic river cruise with this beautiful young lady. So the day came. We, we put the, the raft in the water. Um, the Sandy River moves pretty swiftly, kind of drops off pretty quick into deep water almost immediately. So I helped her get onto the raft, and we shoved off. And it was glorious, romantic for about 30 seconds. <laughs> we capsized. Uh, she, with her contacts on as well, Now, there's two good things that came out of it. Number one, I got to rescue her. Okay, that was good. Uh, But number two, for some reason, she didn't dump me. And Lori, she married me. So, um, wisdom is really important, right? I want to start off with a scripture from Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. Proverbs is one of the books of wisdom from the Bible. And we're actually going to read from the King James Version. It says this, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. In the message, paraphrase, uh, starting in verse 5, it says it this way, Sell everything you have and buy wisdom. Verse 6, Never walk away from wisdom. She guards your life. Number seven, above all and before all, do this. Get wisdom. So practical wisdom is so important. We need it every day. Um, It will protect us from a lot of hurt, right? So uh, boats sink. There's some wisdom there. Um, another one is, if you're sawing off a limb, you want to sit on the, on the tree side of the saw. There's some wisdom there, okay? Right? Um, I'm going to read a couple of verses from Proverbs. There's so much, a wealth of wisdom there. Proverbs 24, 27 says, plant your crops before you build your house. In other words, get a job so you can pay the mortgage before you buy the house, Right? Number two, uh, Proverbs 25, 16, do you like honey? Don't eat too, too much or it will make you sick. So too much pleasure will make you a sick person. Proverbs 25, 17, don't visit your neighbors too often or you will wear out your welcome. Um, a few years ago, uh, I was in a joy group with uh, John White. And um, we, this particular joy group, we met at his house. And um, as we were leaving, had a great evening together. As we were leaving, John was out the door just, you know, saying goodnight to everybody. 
And as I, as I was leaving, he says to me, good to see you, good to see you go. And I'm like, and then I thought about it, and I just started laughing. I thought, that is so good, John. So actually, that's what we say in our joy group. When we leave, we say, good to see you, good to see you go. So that's the, the new paraphrase version of Proverbs 25, 17. Good to see you, good to see you go. Okay, Proverbs 27, 14 says, a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning is not appreciated, right? Okay, one of the cool things about wisdom is that anybody can use it. You don't even have to believe in God. You don't have, you can be an atheist and you can benefit from God's wisdom. Um, it is written everywhere. Actually, uh, my daughter uh, painted this painting and it's kind of an abstract painting, it's really pretty. And it says, um, unspoken truth is spoken everywhere. And I, I just love it. I have it, have it in my office. Um, but God's wisdom is available to us, and it saves us from regret. And I don't know about you, but I want to end my life with as little regret as possible. And I've got some regret. I, want to, I don't want any more in the future. Are you with me? Okay. So this morning, we're going to look at two uh, characters, two uh, tales, the tales of two different people in the Bible. The first one is Solomon. Now Solomon um, became king of Israel at about 930 BC, 3,000 years ago. And this was a time period when Israel had kings. It was about a 300 or so t uh, length of time period when Israel had kings. And he became the king. And when he became king, God came to him and said, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon had the wisdom to say, God, I want wisdom. I need your help. I cannot do this alone. And God granted him his wish, granted him wisdom. And as we read the chapters about Solomon, and as we read the book of Proverbs, which uh, Solomon wrote most of that book, um, we see that he became the wisest man perhaps ever to live. And he became also the most powerful, the most wealthy king of Israel. And, and really of that day, he was the most powerful king to reign on the earth. Um, we see that even kings and queens came and visited him because they'd heard about this amazing country ruled by this amazing wise king. And so they'd come and check it out and say, wow, it's true. Everything I heard and more is true. And in fact, um, the kings, because Solomon's empire was growing and getting stronger and stronger, they wanted a peace treaty with him. They did not want Solomon messing with their country. They wanted peace. And so they would try to get peace treaties with Solomon. So he prospered in every way. But something tragic happens in Solomon's life. And if you've read it, you know it's one of the saddest stories in the Bible. This man that became so great, so wise, so famous, so amazing in every way had a tragic end. In fact, at the end of his life, his country that was Israel, that was so amazing, fell into civil war. And secondly, the king of Egypt actually came up, the Pharaoh, and ransacked Jerusalem 
took all the gold, took all of the valuables right out of the temple, right out of the king's palace, totally ransacked Jerusalem. And worse of all is that Solomon's son became known as an evil king following Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 14 says, But Rehoboam, Solomon's son, did what was evil, for he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So I don't know about you, but that sounds like a big regret. Solomon had a lot of regrets to start off so great, so amazing, so wonderful, and yet to fall so far. Why did this happen? Why did Solomon, of all people, fall so far? He knew God. God had given him wisdom. Well, before we answer that question, we're going to talk about another kind of wisdom. And I call it godly wisdom. And that's, we see this in the scripture. This is supernatural wisdom. It's wisdom that isn't always obvious. It's supernatural. It's supreme. It's God's wisdom. It's more than just a boat can sink. It's more than just, make sure you're sitting on the right side of the saw, okay? This is godly wisdom. And it takes us much farther. It's far beyond practical wisdom. Um, practical wisdom, again, is, is accessible, but God's wisdom, we need to get it from him. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. The thoughts of the wise are futile. So what does godly wisdom look like? Um, so we're going we're gonna to look at an example of godly wisdom and see how it actually played out in Solomon's life. So in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 16 and 17, we see what's called the laws of the king. And so uh, this, is, this was given many years before Solomon was king by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. And this was called the law of the kings. And here they are. Number one, I'm not going to read them, but I'm going to summarize the three laws. Number one, don't multiply horses and chariots. And that refers to military strength. Number two, don't multiply wives and don't have foreign wives. This refers to international treaties and also to pleasure. And number three, don't multiply wealth. And this refers to opulence, having far more than you need. Okay, now I want to ask you a question. Do these three laws make practical sense? So if you're the king of your country and you want it to be safe and secure and you want all your people to be happy, wouldn't you want a lot of military strength? Wouldn't you want peace? You would, you would want that. And wouldn't you want to enjoy all the pleasure possible? I mean, why not? And wouldn't you want all the wealth that you could attain? You'd, we don't want to worry about the future. We want to make sure that we have plenty stored up. So we want these things. So in my mind, practical wisdom says, eh, why do we need these three laws? So... Now, in this particular day, in this time period, again, I mentioned it, um, peace treaties was a thing because you wanted security for your country and you did not want any wars with your neighboring uh, countries. And so, as you can imagine, as Solomon grows stronger and stronger and more military might, his surrounding uh, neighbors were saying, hey, we better make sure we do whatever we can to protect ourselves. And so they wanted to enter into a treaty with Solomon so that nothing would ever happen. 
So, and of course, that's what happened. Early in his reign, the, the uh, Pharaoh of Egypt wanted a treaty. So 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. So, guess what? If you remember a couple of minutes ago, um, this violates one of the three laws of the kings. You're not to marry a foreign woman. So, but think about it. Solomon's like, hey, um, I want peace. I mean, Pharaoh, Egypt, they're a, they're a big dog enemy. I want peace with them. I need to protect my country. Um, practical wisdom would say, I should enter into this treaty. And she is pretty too, by the way. But um, so you can imagine how he's thinking. You know, God in this situation, God would want me to take in, in consideration the safety of our country. And so I think that in this case, the, the right thing to do would be to ignore this law of the kings. Wouldn't that kind of make practical sense? Well, that's what Solomon did. So fo Solomon followed practical wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And he begins down this pathway. That's the first step. Well, before you know it, he's actually violated all three of these laws of the kings. We see that he had thousands of horses and chariots stationed at outposts all around the country. We see that he had hundreds of wives from the surrounding countries. And we see that he had so much gold that silver was actually considered worthless. So Solomon had risen so high, and yet, little by little, he had compromised every single one of the laws of the kings. And because of this, he drifted from God. So 1 Kings chapter 11 is the end of, of Solomon's life. And we see what happened. I'm just going to read a few of the verses from this chapter. So in verse 4, it says this. In Solomon's old age, his wives turned his heart to worship other gods. Verse 5, he worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Verse 7, on the Mount of Olives, he even built a pagan shrine for Shemosh and Molech. And in case you didn't know, um, if you worship Molech, that means that you offered your babies on fire. You sacrifice them by fire, your babies. Verse 11, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and since you have not kept my covenant and my statutes, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. So again, why did this happen? Why did Solomon screw up so bad? He fell so far to go from being a godly king um, that actually built the temple of Solomon. He built the temple. And we actually, if, if you read the story, um, when they finished the temple, it says that the presence of God came down in a cloud and, and the, the altar, God himself lit the fire on that altar. And so God was there. That's how Solomon began. And yet, he ended so badly. So why? Are you with me? Why would this happen? And, and I hope you're putting yourself in, this, in the same boat. Could this have been me? Could I 
be at a place where I'm, I'm walking with God and experiencing all of his blessings and walking in his wisdom? And could I possibly slip and fall like Solomon did? So we read the three laws found in Deuteronomy 17. But there's a fourth law that we didn't read yet. So we're going to read that right now. It says this, When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll, essentially the Bible, in the presence of the Levitical priests. He must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. That way he will learn to fear the Lord his God by obeying all the terms of these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he is above his fellow citizens. It will also prevent him from turning away from these commands in the smallest way. And it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. So in all of the chapters about Solomon, and there's at least 10 chapters in Kings and Chronicles about his life, and there's many minute details, amazing details, but not once is it recorded of him spending time reading the scriptures or even um, referring to the scriptures. We do not see that happening. So Solomon failed to keep this fourth law of the kings. Now, if you think deeply about that for a minute, when I was um, reading and studying about Solomon, I read about his life, and it was so amazing. This question was, how could this happen? How could this happen? And when I read this fourth law, and I saw the three previous laws, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Solomon had not followed the fourth law. He had not made the scriptures part of his daily life. Um, when you read that passage in other translations, it says that that copy of the law was supposed to be in the throne with him. And I don't know what, what his throne was like, if it had a little you know, a book pocket or what. But anyway, he was supposed to have that in the throne with him at all times. It was supposed to be part of his daily life. And yet we don't see this happening at all. We see the converse. We see him little by little disobeying every single one of the commandments of the kings. And so we see, little by little, him drifting away from God. He wasn't putting the word of God number one in his life. I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Proverbs 8.34 says, Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Psalm 1 and verse 2. Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So Solomon neglected the scriptures. And as a result, he had a lot of regret. He ended his life uh, so sadly. Um, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he says life is meaningless. And that's, that's basically how Solomon ended his life. A life of regret. Okay, Character number two. We're going to talk now about Daniel. So 
Uh, Daniel was this amazing young man. For those of you who don't know his story, so what had happened, and this happened in around 660 BC, Babylon had come in and wiped out Israel. They leveled Jerusalem. The temple was gone. The palaces were gone. The gates and the walls protecting the city were destroyed. And on top of that, Babylon took thousands of Israelites as captives. So Daniel is one of these captives. He's a young man. He's a hostage, okay? He's a hostage taken to this country called Babylon. And obviously, this dictator that is running Babylon has no problem removing any heads of anybody that for any reason gets in his way, right? So Daniel is there. He's 15 years or so, we think. Young man. He's seen all of this. He's, you know, he's devastated, watched what has happened to his country. And here he is. And believe it or not, but he gets invited into this elite training academy. And so he's like, okay, I better follow every instruction. I better be a good boy. I don't want to mess this up. I want to survive. I want to live another day. I want to see the sun shine tomorrow. Right? So that's where David, or Daniel, excuse me, that's where Daniel's at. That's how he's thinking. I can imagine if I was him, that's how I would be thinking. Well, guess what? Day one in this academy, him and his three friends are told that they're going to do something that violates a little scripture, a small one. What would you do if you were in Daniel's situation? I mean, we've all heard the phrase, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians, right? Isn't that how it goes? When in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. Um, if I don't follow instructions, it's off with my head. I'm, I'm no more. Um, this is a little verse. And you know what? God knows my heart. And in this situation, I am sure that God would want me to just follow orders. Aren't we supposed to, you know, obey those of an authority over us? I should just obey this instruction that's been given to me, right? You with me? Wouldn't you feel the same way? Come on, you guys, supposed to agree with me. (laughs) This would be a tough spot. This would be a really tough spot to be in. And yet, Daniel says, no, I am going to follow God's instruction. In Daniel chapter 1, in verse 8, says this. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. So what happens in this situation? Um, God actually gives Daniel wisdom on how to talk to his superiors. And so they go on this test, and he's going to follow God's instructions instead of the king's instructions. And after the end of this test, it is discovered that Daniel and his three buddies are found to be ten times better than everybody else in this training academy. It's a miracle. This is a miracle. This isn't, Daniel just wasn't, you know, born with better breeding or whatever. No, God supernaturally used him. God supernaturally gave him these abilities, him and his buddies. And this is what happens when we are following godly wisdom. When we follow God's wisdom at all costs, that's when God wants to do miracles. Now, how did this happen? Why did it happen? So as we read the book of Daniel, we dig into it. We have to look closely. We see that, number one, 
Daniel had a daily prayer time with God. He met with God every day. In fact, he met three times a day. And at the cost of his life, he would not stop doing that. At the risk of losing his life, he said, no, I am going to pray. I'm going to meet with my God every day. Secondly, we see, we've got to dig for this one, but we see that Daniel was into the scriptures. He was searching them out. He was feeding on them. And when he saw something in scripture, he followed it. He took it seriously. And so these two things we see in Daniel's life. And what's the result? Daniel actually served under four different kings with, from two different regimes. First it was Babylon. Well, then Babylon gets con con conquered excuse me, by the Medo-Persians. And even under that new regime, Daniel continues to serve the kings of that regime. And because of these, again, situations that Daniel found himself in where he was asked to compromise, and he said, no, I'm going to follow godly wisdom. Because he was willing to say, no, I'm not going to compromise. I'm following godly wisdom. God used him to show these kings who the true God was. It, it's an awesome. It's one of, my, one of my favorite books to read, the book of Daniel. So Daniel ends his life with no regrets. He ends his life rock solid, and God used him in amazing ways. And God wants to use you in amazing ways. You're going to be in situations on the, on the job, in school, in, in government, um, wherever you are, and there are going to be times when you're going to be tempted to follow practical wisdom instead of godly wisdom. And at those moments, God wants you to stand strong. He wants you to stand in his godly wisdom and watch what he will do. So I'm going to give you just four things um, in conclusion and how to live in godly wisdom. Number one, the first one is humility. Recognize I need God's wisdom at all times. Humility. This is so important. It is so important. You know, all of us, hopefully, as we walk with God and we serve him, we get promotions, we get better at things, we learn things, God helps us, we find success in so many different ways. And what happens when we get success? What happens when we're doing better and better? We start thinking, I got this. I'm good. Look what I just accomplished. Look what I figured out. Look, look at how I did this. And we start forgetting it was God every moment. It was God every step of the journey. It was God giving me those thoughts. It was God giving me the energy. It's God making my heart beat. It's God giving me what I need. And we must keep this attitude that God is giving me what I have. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So this be, must become our foundation, this humility. You know, we live in this great, awesome country called America, and I was raised watching Daniel Boone, okay? I was raised with this idea that we are self-made men, and we can do stuff, and we can figure it out, and we can win. And uh, that's how we're raised. And, and that's really good in a lot of ways, as long as it's tempered with this understanding that God gives me everything. 
I rely on the Lord. If I think for a minute that I can do this without him, man, I am a million miles off. I'm a million miles from where I need to be. That is pride. And God says clearly, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So I want this. I want to be, I want to have humility more than anything else. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 6. I love how this is said here. It's it's demonstrating that. My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, search for it for, as for tr- uh, hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I want to hunger. I want to keep that attitude. God, I need your wisdom. All right, secondly, expectation. Know that God wants to give me his wisdom. So I don't know about you, but I have some regret in my life. But God does not want me to have any more regret in my life. And he is for us. So regardless of how bad you have screwed up your past, how many times that you took the wrong path, God is here today saying, I want to give you my wisdom. I love you. I spilled my blood for you. And I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want you to move forward with no regret. I want you to begin this journey with me and have no more regret. That's God talking to us. James 1.5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And then Proverbs 1, verse 20 and 23. This is kind of a, an alliteration here um, of, of wisdom personified as a woman speaking to us. And this is what she says. Lady Wisdom goes out on the street and shouts. At the town center, she makes her speech. In the middle of the traffic, she takes her stand. At the busiest corner, she calls out, Simpletons, how long will you wallow in ignorance? Cynics, how long will you feed your cynicism? Idiots, how long will you refuse to learn? About face, I can revise your life. Look, I'm ready to pour out my spirit on you. I'm ready to tell you all that I know. That's our God. That's who he is. He's, he's there. Whether you realize it or not, he's waving his hand. He's saying, Bill, Joe, come. I have this for you. I want to give you my wisdom. If you will just seek it, if you will just hunger for it, I want to give it to you. Okay, the third one is lifestyle. Make the Holy Scriptures part of your daily life life. Make the Bible the most important, the most valuable thing, the highest treasure that you have on planet earth. Make the scriptures something that you value so highly and that you're going to make part of every day. 
So I don't care if today I'm going to work, today I'm going hunting, today I'm going fishing, today I'm going on vacation, today I'm going to goof around, today, whatever today is, scriptures are part of my day. Now maybe, again, because of circumstances, I don't have an extended period of time where I can read a few chapters, but I can read a verse. I can read a couple of verses. I can hunger for the truth of God's word. I can hunger for some some word from God every day. Say, God, I need some word from you. I need some food. I need some direction. I need your godly wisdom. Joshua 1.8, I love this verse. It says, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This book is supernatural. It's amazing. And when the illumination of the Holy Spirit opens it and speaks to you, that's what you want right there. So I'm going to give you just a couple little tips on how to read the Bible, how to, how to, how to get into reading the Bible. Number one, you like this first one here? Get some coffee. Now, this one is not required, okay? Some of you don't drink coffee, okay? But here's my point. When you're hanging out with your buddies, so I like to get coffee with John and Frank and Greg and Tom and a whole, whole bunch of you from time to time. And when I get together with my buddies, I want to have some coffee. I want to, I want to, we're having fellowship. We're talking. We're talking about life. We're talking about God. We're talking about stuff, right? We're having fellowship. Well, guess what? We are meeting with the king of the universe and we honor him. We revere him. But he also says, I want to be your friend. You know, in Revelation 3.20, he says, I'm knocking at your door. I want to come in and I want to have fellowship with you. So get a cup of coffee, all right? Because you're meeting with the Lord. You're going to hang out with Jesus. Okay, so number two, say, God, I'm here to be with you. That's the first thing. I'm just, I'm here to be with you, God. This is the best place on planet Earth is just to be with you. And he's promised he would meet with us when we want to meet with him. Number three, say, God, teach me. I want to learn. Teach me. Now, um, sometimes you're going to read stuff that you don't understand or that just doesn't seem to apply at all. You're going to be reading through the genealogies or, or whatever. Um, but remember, you're with God. You're meeting with him. You're having a meeting with him. You're hanging out with the Lord. And you're reading his word. You're hungry. And so that in itself is awesome because when you're hungry, God's going to speak to you. I don't care if you're reading genealogies. God is going to speak to you. But number four, expect to learn. So now again, maybe you need to uh, get a Bible dictionary. Maybe you need to talk to somebody that's been a Christian longer and get some wisdom from them. Maybe you need to get the Blue Letter Bible app on your phone so you can dig in a little deeper. But um, believe that God wants to teach you. Expect to learn from God. And number five, just talk to him. And say, God, um, what do you want me to learn today? What do you want me to do? How do I put this into practice? And also, God, I need your help. I cannot do this alone. And that, that is, again, that's that attitude of humility. We cannot do it on our own. 
Um, we must have God's strength, God's help. In order to follow um, his wisdom, we must have his help. So number four, how to live in godly wisdom. Resolve to stay true to God's wisdom. In his strength, there it is again, no rationalization and no compromise. So every day, you're faced with a decision, many of them, right? Some of them are, are very small, you know. Do I want... Uh, you know, foam or no foam? Well, I don't do that very often, okay? I'm too much of a tightwad, just FYI. I make my coffee at home. But anyway, big, big problems, little problems. Sometimes we have some, some serious um, decisions to make. And sometimes the, the enemy is throwing that compromise in front of us. And practical wisdom is saying, yeah, this sounds pretty good. That, that might be the best way to go. And God's wisdom is there to say, God's way is higher. And in the end, there's a benefit. In the end, there's a payoff. And so in those moments, I'm going to pause and say, God, I have resolved to follow you. I've resolved to follow godly wisdom. I am not going to compromise. I'm not going to walk down those steps that Solomon did. Lord, help me not to do that. I want to follow Daniel's example. I want to be a man like Daniel that at any cost, I'm going to say, I resolve to follow godly wisdom. Believing there's a blessing. Believing that there's a miracle happening. There, something is going to happen for good because I'm choosing not to compromise. In that moment, sometimes we've got to say, God, help me. I'm, having, I'm struggling. This is hard. I can't do this. God, help me. And God will. He promises he will. So, um, in conclusion... Proverbs 4 and verse 6, love this. We read it at the beginning. Never walk away from wisdom. She guards your life. That's God's word to us. Now, just want to mention one other thing, and that is that these four things, they're not four steps. You know, you do the first one, then you forget about that one, and then you do the second one, forget about that one, do the third one. No, these are four things that we want to keep at all times. Humility, I need God. Number two, I expect God wants to give me what I need. Number three, the scriptures are going to be part of my daily life. The most valuable thing because that's how God speaks to me. It's one of the ways he speaks to me and his word is truth. And fourthly, this resolve, I'm going to stay true. By God's strength, I'm going to stay true. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to rationalize. Let's pray this morning. Father, there's many of us, myself included this morning, that many times, Lord, we, we choose to follow practical wisdom instead of your godly wisdom. God, I just pray that you would help us starting today to make your word part of our life, integral, every day. It's not an option. It's our delight. It's part of walking with God is the word of God, the scriptures they're part of my life. I, God, I pray that you would help everybody to do that, to begin this journey of wanting and hungering and expecting you to speak to us through your word every day. God, we thank you. We're believing that you're going to help us regret-proof our life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, if you would, just continue to close your eyes, bow your heads. Maybe somebody here this morning, and you're saying... I want 
this relationship with God you're talking about. I want, I have, I've messed my life up. I do have regrets, and I've recognized that I need God. Uh, this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you. I died for you. Yeah, you've screwed up, but I have a new life for you. All you have to do is say, admit it and say, God, I want you in charge. I want to quit being in charge, and I want you to be in charge. So I'd ask you to just raise your hand. We're not going to embarrass you, but it's a step of faith to raise your hand and say, yes, that is me. I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I see that hand. God sees that hand. God is wanting to start this relationship with you. So let's pray right now together. Everybody pray with me. Father, I'm sorry for ignoring you. I'm sorry for running my own life. I'm sorry for being in charge and not letting you be in charge. God, I thank you that you died for me. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for the life I've lived. And right now I choose to follow you. I choose to make you charge of my life. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.